In Philippians chapter 1, as you recall last week, for those of you who were here, we look at the Apostle's prayer and what he really prayed for. For those of you who have not heard, may I encourage you to listen to it because it will make a whole lot more sense when Paul now begins to speak about himself. When Paul prayed for the church that he loved, he prayed that their love will abound and increase. And we spoke about what that love is. It is from above, and, and, and it is active, and it is sacrificial. And Paul prays that that will grow with the knowledge and wisdom. And for the purpose of that was that they would approve the things that are excellent to become greater Christians, better believers, and live holy and blameless. And then we spoke about that Paul is praying for that duration until Christ comes back, whether by death or by rapture. And doing all these things were done because God imputed in the believer his righteousness. And Paul said, do it all for the glory and the praise of God. And Paul knew this. Paul knew that man's chief end was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And now Paul begins to want to encourage this church as he's done even in his little section here because the whole epistle is that they may live joyfully in Christ. And the apostle now here, he's trying to, he's going to expose what it means to live joyfully in Christ and what it means that when we go through trials and tribulations and circumstances in life that Christ is still at work. Paul, who better than, than Paul himself to tell us what it's like to go under heavy circumstances and never lose that joy in Christ Jesus? Because I must admit that sometimes when we talk about the joy of the Lord, we know that we all have that joy of the Lord by the Spirit of God. We all know that if we're believers. But sometimes things in life happen that can rob you of the joy of the Lord. But at the same time, I believe sometimes we justify ourselves for being joyless. As if, if it's okay. We downsize this. We, we, we can call this a respectable sin like anger or impatience or gluttony. And we, we say, well, you know, things are happening in life and, and I'm robbed of the joy as if somehow it's not a sin. It is a sin. It's a sin problem when something takes over and you are joyless. Yes, we live in a troubled world. It is full of anxiety, full of afflictions, full of troubles, full of people that will do us wrong. We are always disappointed from a wife, from the husband, from the children, from the neighbor, and even from your church. You're disappointed because we live in a society that always talks about me. But if having loss of joy in whatever circumstances we're in quickly turns and is being replaced by gossip and anger and holding a grudge and feeling sorry for self, keeping away from the brethren, this thought ought to not be entertained. It is not from God and it must be repented of. I once knew a man who, whom I met that he was wronged in a church and he was wronged and, and, and because he was wronged, he left the church and he was churchless and joyless for at least five to seven years. And when that man finally went back to a church, he didn't want to serve and ripped him off of the joy of serving because he didn't want to get Hurt again. If being joyless was acceptable to God and, and, and not moving forward in our ministry for the gospel's sake, I will believe that Paul will have something to say about that. But what Paul teaches that in and through his own affliction, Paul is glorifying God. And in that affliction, he is not 
thinking even about himself. You see, the prayer will start to make sense now if you understand what's going to Paul's going to say next about himself because his care, even in his own affliction, it is still for the church and for the gospel. The title of this sermon this morning, I, I called it The Lord Increases Joy Through Afflictions for the Gospel. The Lord Increases Joy Through Afflictions for the Gospel. Let me tell you something, brethren. Too many times when we're going through afflictions, we still are self-centered. We don't see the big picture of God. We don't think that God is working something else else. And we say God works all things for good for those who love him, but not in this case, right? Not when I'm going through afflictions. And we take our focus of God. That is not what Paul does. And he will reveal that to us. So let us read together. Just as a reminder, let me just read from verse from verse 9 what we studied last time so we get a better understanding. And we're going to look at three things. Number one, we're going to look at the afflictions. Afflictions for the furtherance of the gospel. Two, afflictions encourage the brethren in the gospel. And three, afflictions bring rejoicing in the gospel. Let's read from verse 9 together. Paul says, And this I pray that your love may abound. Remember that. Still all the more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. We'll stop there because it's pretty lengthy, so I can begin there. Our first point, Paul says, now that I prayed for you, and that you're growing and understand that your main focus, it is to glorify God. I want you to pay very close attention what I'm about to say to you now. I want you to understand this. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know. That's Paul's desire. It speaks of Paul's emotion saying, I want you to know, but not just facts. I want you to know. This word know speaks of experience. God, Paul is saying, I want you to know exactly what I'm experiencing and what happens through this experience and what God is doing through this experience. And remember, Paul and his church had a, a really beautiful fellowship together. They were connected. They loved one another. And maybe this church is concerned for Paul, understanding that, that Paul, is belo- their beloved brother, is in prison. But Paul says, I don't want you to be concerned about me. But I want you to understand, listen, I'm in this prison. We're going to see through this. I may not have planned to be here, but God did. We'll see that through the text in a minute. My love for Jesus did not diminish. In actual fact, it increased. It increased. Let's understand something. The Apostle Paul, As we said last week, one of the greatest Christians who walked planet Earth, his desire was to proclaim the gospel to everyone, even in Rome, the, the riches and the glory of Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. As he was doing that faithfully, he was stopped. Because whatever's happened to me, Paul says, it didn't just happen. It wasn't, it wasn't just a chance. God stopped him and he led him to Rome, but in chains and in prison under house arrest. Now think about this. Paul, on the outside to these believers, was a mighty Christian. He, he was preaching everywhere and people were coming to save him faith, right? He was one of the greatest leaders outside. Now he's in prison and he's bound to, to guards. 
And, and the believers might think, what good can come out of this? This is hopeless. That's not what Paul is going to say, is he? He says, I want you to know, brethren, the sovereignty of God. God through his sovereign rule and his mighty hand. Hey, these guys, perhaps, they put me in prison, but God had another plan. He wants them to really understand this. I'm chained to people. I cannot move. I'm restricted to go even to the bathroom. What does Paul want them to know? Does Paul want them to know, please feel sorry for me? I'm chained to a guy that I cannot even go to the toilet. Does he want him to feel sorry for, for him that he's going through the circumstance? Look at the text. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances turned out happen for the greater progress of the gospel. Do you understand that? It happened for the greater progress of the gospel. It didn't just happen. Paul is not saying it happened. Wow, something really strange happened and I went to prison. What he's talking about here is that this happened purposefully for the furtherance of the gospel. And Christ, even in his imprisonment, is glorified. Paul wants them to know that in spite of what is happening to him, in spite of his chains, in spite of his difficulties and his terrible situation, he's saying, listen to me, brethren, do not rely on your eyes, do not rely on your emotion, because these things have happened to me and it turned out for good, for greater good, for the greatest good, for the gospel's sake. Christ allowed me to come in this prison because he's magnified all the more. Paul might have been a prisoner in Rome, chained, having little space between him and the guard, but Paul was a slave of Christ, and in these afflictions, his joy and ministry for the gospel's sake did not add or subtract. And his joy of the Lord did not diminish because of these circumstances. Paul did not see these circumstances as annoying, as a curse, but Paul saw them as a blessing. And he wants the church to know, listen, just because you think I have been stopped, the gospel did not stop. God is working it out for the furtherance, for the advancement, for the progression and the greater gospel presentation to all people. This Paul never allowed circumstances in his life to ever stop him to be joyful and to proclaim the gospel, brethren. He never allowed the circumstances in his life to stop him. Stoning Paul could not stop him. Lashing Paul could not stop him. Flogging him could not stop him. Being shipwrecked could not stop him. In dangers continuously daily could not stop him. Lack of sleep could not stop him. Hunger could not stop him. Thirst could not stop him. And even the pressures within the church was false leaders, false teachers, bad brethren could not stop Paul. And this circumstance of him being in prison could not stop Paul in glorifying Christ in his body and in his tongue. Why? Let me tell you something. Paul wrote to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2, 9, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. You see that? God's word is not bound. And Paul, Paul the apostle, he loved Christ. He breathed Christ and lived Christ. His gospel was his pleasure and his treasure, his priority in life and his joy. We need to examine when a circumstance happens in our lives, what is our focus? Oh, God, remove it from me so I can be joyful. Remove this from me, God. Remove my husband. I think you brought the wrong husband, the wrong wife, the wrong child, the wrong neighbor, and the wrong brother. Just remove everyone and leave me alone, God, and I'll be joyful just between me and you. Is it not? Oh, it's just me. It's the only one that thinks that way perhaps from time to time. 
Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel and woe is me if I do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And by the way, it's interesting to know that this word in Greek progress, it is a word that speaks of moving forward under heavy load with hard circumstances. And who better to show us this truth that under heavy load, Paul endured and Paul endured and Paul endured. He endured joyfully. He might have been down, but we never see the Apostle Paul complaining or being bitter if what was happening to him. He did not lose the joy of the Lord, not his focus. He never went around and said, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Brethren, pray for me. I'm in such woe. Sure, the Apostle Paul would have felt certain things, but never the joy and the focus of the gospel was ever taken away from Paul giving glory to God because that's what he prayed in his prayer for the brethren, to give glory and to praise God. That is your focus. And now Paul wants to reveal to them how he's actually living this out. His desire was to encourage the Philippians to move forward, to move forward, knowing that what happened to him didn't happen by chance. God was in control. Paul never stops glorifying Christ, never stops bringing Jesus to the forefront and his attributes. I'm going to prophesy to you this morning. Oh, yeah. Get ready, all right? Because if I prophesy wrongly, stone me to death. Did you know that God is still sovereign? God is still sovereign and God has not changed and God is still in control. He still rules. He still reigns even in your circumstances this morning. And the gospel is still not bound. God is still working out his purpose in and through the church of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be like the men of old. And some of us remember Joseph, how he was left in the ditch to die, left alone because his brothers hated him. And yet he was taken out, taken to Egypt, made the right hand of Pharaoh. And what does Joseph say after all this? You send me here. No, he doesn't. He says, God sent me here. He acknowledged that even through his hard circumstances of life, that the sovereign Lord was in control. Yes, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to present a result and to preserve many people alive. And God is doing this in the life of Paul. And Paul understood this just like Joseph, that God was bringing out greater things. And that is the gospel. Well, we don't look that way. When we're in trouble, we don't see that. We don't see that God is working out something greater. Even when we're sick, even when we get COVID, we don't see that God is working out something greater. We want the COVID to go away. Well, I thank God for COVID because he has revealed some awesome stuff in my own life. And if what's the worst thing, God will kill me? Am I not preaching that we ought to be heaven-focused? Do I want to stay out of heaven? What is wrong with us? We want to go there. But while I'm going there, I want to live for him. Here is what Paul is saying. Don't be focused on the external. Focus on heavenward because God is working out something greater for the progression and for the, for the furtherance of the gospel. Look at verse 13 with me. Verse 12, he says, And I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that in my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and everyone else. Did you get that? In my chains, in my confinement, in my distress, being restricted to drink, to go to the toilet, being captive, Christ has become 
known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. The Praetorian Guard there is a governor's place. It was established by Caesar Augustus. You can see that in Luke chapter 2. And according to some commentators, they're saying that in this palace, there's over 10,000 soldiers. 10,000 soldiers. And some of these soldiers were appointed to be chained to the Apostle Paul, right? Some of these people were chained to the Apostle Paul. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that those people who were chained to him were converted to Christ. Some of these people were converted to Christ. By the way, in the book of Acts, I'll just tell you off note, in the book of Acts, an actual fact, the sovereignty of God is revealed even more. God actually brings people to Paul to hear the gospel. There are people who are allowed to go and visit Paul, and he will preach the gospel. And so here's what Paul says, that because of his imprisonment, this palace, they've all heard the gospel. In fact, in chapter 4, later on, right at the end of this epistle, Paul says to the Philippians, listen to this, the saints greet you, especially those in the Caesar's household. Did you understand that, right? I mean, what a great God. What a sovereign God. People are chained to Paul, and God is saving these soldiers. And what do they do? They go back to where they were, and they start to proclaim the gospel. There was no one in that place that did not hear the gospel according to our verse. Talking about the furtherance of the gospel under such amazing circumstances. This guy is chained to me. He tells another. He tells another. He tells another. Listen to me very carefully. Paul wants to know to tell these brethren in Philippi. Listen, I may not be preaching to the masses as I have. And thousands of people have come to save in faith. But this one-on-one evangelism. This is really, really working out for the furtherance of the gospel. And in this circumstance, and this one-on-one, well, one-on-one and one-on-one and one-on-one, perhaps a lot of one-on-ones, God brought, pay attention, brethren, an awakening. The Lord brought an awakening. And Paul's encouraging the Philippians, saying, listen, these people who are being converted, they are now my eyes, they are my ears, and they are my mouth, and they are taking the gospel somewhere where I never imagined to go. It is to Caesar's palace. I never imagined to go there and say, excuse me, can I just come in and preach the gospel to you? And pay attention. He wants to encourage them how. Let's understand something. When these brothers who are now being converted are going back to the devil's lair, they were risking their lives. They were risking their own chains to another God who was not converted. What faithful people. What, a, what an amazing thing that God can do under such heavy circumstances of life. Paul says, my circumstances have turned out for something that I never would have dreamed of. This is our sovereign Lord. He chose for Paul to be bound so that Paul, God will use Paul to set loose the gospel even all the more as when Paul was actually free. More souls are saved. More souls are converted to Paul. Imagine being saved afterwards and then spending eight hours with Paul in chain. It would be an awesome Bible study. Can't go anywhere. Say, Paul, I'm getting convicted. (laughs) You can't run away. People are being converted by the sovereignty of God through this one man without measure. What encouragement is it not? And so Paul's aim for this beloved church is that they will become more confident, as we will see in a minute, in the gospel, and to continue to glorify God in their own life. That's our first point. Our second point, we will look at afflictions for, uh, for the encouragement of the brethren in the gospel. Afflictions work out for the encouragement of the gospel. I want you to pay attention to this. I'll come back to it in a minute and remind me if I don't because I'm a bit foggy still. 
is that sometimes we think that our affliction is always about us, right? You, you see, what's happening to Paul? The brethren are encouraged. Let's read verse 14, and then we'll just read 14 for, for a minute. I'll, we'll read it to 17. Every, so the gospel's gone everywhere, the Praetorian Guard, and to everyone else. And that's adding to what I just said, that most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. We'll stop there. Did you see that? Because of Paul's imprisonment, what happened? What happens to these believers in Rome while Paul's in prison? They became more trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was doing through Paul's chains, and they proclaimed the gospel even with greater confidence. It's incredible. And they are seeing Paul's faithfulness in his chains. They are free from chains, and they became bolder, and it says, without fear. This one man, ignited a fire in these believers whilst he was in prison. He's encouraging these believers that what happened to him, this fire is greater than you think. One person. Paul is saying that the brethren are so moving now with this encouragement because I am in prison. And those who were scared, they will move forward. Those who were moving forward, they will move forward all the more. Because Paul was in prison and they saw Paul's faithfulness and his joy in the Lord. These believers, seeing that zeal of Paul, seeing that power of Paul, God through his sovereignty grabbed that fire and by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit of God, he transferred it to those who were outside. When they saw Paul's faithfulness, and they saw what God was doing, these people were set on fire for Christ. They didn't run away from the Lord. They didn't hide in caves. They didn't say, Paul, you're on your own. Paul says they went out and they were completely sold out for Christ. Here's something to think about through church history and to this very day. When does God ever bring a revival? When does the Lord bring revivals? Is it when a church is prosperous? Is it when a church, I mean, there are times a church is prosperous, sure. But when we study scriptures, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ through his sovereignty brings about an awakening when a church is vulnerable under persecution as they were. And there's one person who's willing to put his hand up. It doesn't begin in the masses. It begins with, with, with people, individual people who are desiring to say, no matter the circumstances in my life, God, I am willing to live and to die for Christ. Looking at this man, this poor, these people, they start to begin to have a fire and they bring that fire everywhere else in spite of circumstances. This is a this is a witness, brethren. Paul is a witness unto other people. Think of individuals back in, in, in the in the Reformation even. From one believer the Lord can start such a flame, such a flame to reach to the furthest part of the world. It is better to have a flame for Christ. God can use one person who is on fire for him to preach the gospel and ready to even live and to die and bring such an awakening than 10,000 Christians who box Jesus Christ in their hearts and not willing to say, no, no matter the circumstances of life, no matter what happens to me, I will live for Christ. Martin Luther did that. John Knox did that. Spurgeon did that. Martin Lloyd-Jones did that. And even women, Amy Carmichael did that. They were willing 
And, and by the way, if you study some of these people, understand their circumstances were not easy. They were not easy. One man, one woman on fire for Christ can cause a lot of damage in the kingdom of darkness and can bring many sons to glory by the Spirit of God. However, whether are those who desire to live God-honoring lives, especially elders, in that sense, you will always have oppositions. You're going to have oppositions. Look with me in verse 15 and 17. After he says, the brethren are encouraged now in what is happening to me in my imprisonment, he says, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill to different people. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than the pure motives. And they think, this is what we're saying, thinking to cause distress in my imprisonment. Did you understand that? Just like the time of Christ, just like the reformers, and any other time in church history, when people stand up for the truth, there is always some critic, someone who thinks he knows better. Someone who knows the scriptures in a different way. Someone who wants to be in authority. Anyone who stood for the scriptures, even to this very day, always have oppositions. Always have oppositions. And this is what's happening with Paul. Now let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. It's, it's expected and understandably right when you have oppositions from unbelievers. You are expected that from unbelievers. Paul is talking about those who are actually believers. Paul is talking about those who are believers. I am of Paul, I'm from Apollos, one's from Christ. Paul speaks about these very things. There's always those who think somehow they can do better, especially when it comes to leadership. I think Brother Wears has said something wrong. I would have said it better. And that can turn into something horrifying. And it can bring strife, envy. That word envy, it is to desire to have what someone else has. So what's happening here? Perhaps they desire to have Paul's authority, Paul's fame, not his imprisonment perhaps. Let me tell you something. If jealousy is there, where is love? We spoke about this last week. If a person envies even someone else's giftedness and someone else's authority even within the church, where is love? Where is your place in Christ? This is what's happening here. And they preached out of envy. Out of envy, it says. Not so much what they were preaching was wrong, what they were preaching, they were desiring their reputation, and perhaps to destroy Paul's reputation. Maybe spreading rumors about Paul. And you see Paul in some of the letters is always explaining himself, I am an apostle. I was chosen by God. God called me. There's a reason Paul did that. People were picking on Paul. And he says some do it this way. Throughout church history, this has happened. Whitfield was not welcomed in the church, right? There was a, there was a jealousy. There was an envy. Calvin himself could not preach. He was kicked out from, from Switzerland and, and Spurgeon suffers from leaders. He, he got depression. It was mainly from leaders. And Edwards, who was a faithful preacher, faithful elder, faithful pastor in his own church, was kicked out of, of being faithful after 22 years. Why? Because there were those who envied him. And what does the result of envy bring? It brings strife. 
Contention, arguing, quarreling, jealousy brings division in a church, brethren. Envy brings a division in a church. Now, Paul is bringing out this. And what he's saying is this. You can even be a faithful preacher, a faithful teacher, a faithful Christian, and you can say things that are true, and still you are not actually really right with God when you're doing it out of envy. And what Paul is saying, just because you say something externally right, make sure that you're internally right too. Make sure that you're doing it out of a heart of worship. He says they are doing it for selfish ambitions. Selfish ambition. They were looking at their own selfish gain. And, and what this word means is a person who craves himself to be exalted. Craving honor. Authority. He wanted to, to climb the ladder. Some are doing this out of the wrong reasons. Rather than from a pure motive. They had selfish agendas. And what did it do to Paul? Was Paul distressed? I want you to pay attention to the sovereignty of God here, brethren. Was Paul distressed? Sure, maybe a little bit. His sadness was that they were not doing it out of a heart of worship. But Paul praised the Lord all the more because Paul knew that even in their sinfulness, Jesus was being glorified. And then he adds a second people. Praise God. Listen, when there's someone who's envious, God brings someone who's humble. Praise the Lord for that. Listen to what it says. Look at verse 15b to 16. It says, Christ, they do it out of, um, um, verse 15, some sure be preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but, but some also from goodwill. The latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the gospel. So there are those who don't do it out of spite and envy and wanted someone else's authority and position. They did it out of love, knowing that Paul himself was appointed for this very thing. They were not selfish. They were selfless. These guys were the opposite of the others. They loved Paul. They loved the gospel. They preached the gospel just like Paul. These people did not have a hidden agenda. No, these believers were not against Paul, but they actually loved Paul. They suffered in the gospel with Paul, and they respected Paul. God can bring about glory to himself, even through people who are actually envious and sinful. And Paul wants to remind them that. Don't be concerned, because Jesus Christ is still magnified. Jesus Christ is still being exalted. Do you understand that? That this man is in prison, and all he's thinking about, even in his sinful acts of these brethren, you're not adding to me distress. In actual fact, Paul is saying, you're bringing warmth to my heart. Because even in your foolishness, even in your stubbornness and your sinfulness, Jesus is being magnified. In that, what does Paul do? He will rejoice. And that brings us to the next point. Because Paul brings everything back to the lover of his soul, Jesus. Jesus, everything Paul does and says, everything, his life was always to live in the presence of Christ for his glory. That's what I prayed for you for, brethren, that you be filled with the food of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ for the glory and the praise of him. We're meant to live for his glory and we're meant to praise him. When? Even in circumstances like this, we are not meant to stop. Man, I cannot be around fellowship. I cannot be around the brethren because I am sick. All right. What if you're sick for 10 years? What will you do? No. 
Our circumstances in life are meant to be looked at under, under the microscopic world of God, and it's massive. We're not meant to kick back in every circumstance in life. Yeah, that happens to me, my husband, my son. Sure, deal with it. But do not lose the love of Christ and your focus of heaven and the gospel that you're meant to proclaim to the ends of the earth. Our third point, and then we bring it to an application. Afflictions. For the gospel, for rejoicing. They are rejoicing. Look at with me, verse 19 and 20 now. Look at what Paul says. For I know, you see that? I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope, and I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with boldness, Christ, even now, and always has been to be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Did you understand what Paul said? He is the same man who wrote by the Spirit of God, no one will ever separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. No one, this same God, is put in his heart such a passion and such a desire. Paul is saying, no matter what happens to me, I will not be separated from this Christ. And Christ will continue in these afflictions and these imprisonments that I have with selfish people who are actually being selfish and, and jealous. They are not adding anything to me. In fact, verse 18 that we skipped, let me read it to you. What then? Only that in everything, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And what do I rejoice in? I rejoice in this, that Christ is, and just in case we did not get it, he says, I'll say it again. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul is not saying what they're doing is correct. What they're doing is right. He's just told them they're doing it out of envy. But the Lord gave this man such a passion for Christ. He says, listen to me, whether they do it for good or for bad, I will rejoice because Jesus Christ is proclaimed and his word will not come back to him void. And in that, oh man, I'm ecstatic. Whether in pretense, whether you're a hypocrite, you're an actor, you're wearing a mask and pretending to be a holy man and you're envious, I don't care, Paul says. And if you're doing it in truth, those who are with me and with a pure motive and a pure heart, to me, I'm rejoicing, not in the actions. I'm rejoicing in the proclamation of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, in his sovereignty, he's still working out his plan. The Apostle Paul never lost an opportunity in all of his circumstances to bring glory to God. And to understand that in that circumstance, God was sovereign. Paul is saying, listen, nothing can rob me from the joy that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord, and he wants to encourage the brethren. Whoever they're trying to add distress to my chain, you can't because you're still proclaiming Jesus and I'm going to give glory to him. Such a passion, such a, a desire. And he says in verse 19, for I know, I know. He understood the sovereignty of God. He understood. That's why he had such joy. This man knew that for certain and through the conviction of Scripture and by the Holy Spirit and through the prayers of the saints, according to that verse, and the provision of the Spirit, that he was going to be set free. By the way, Paul doesn't know he's going to be set free in the sense of from the imprisonment. But why? He trusts God 
and he says to God, to, to, the, to the people of God, whether by death or by life, I'm going to be free. Do you understand that, right? Whether by death or by life, Christ is glorified. Paul understood that God will work out all things for good for those who loved God, and Paul loved God. Whether by life or death, I am going to glorify God. When's the last time that you thought that way? Most of us have been sick. Did you think that while you were sick, I'm going to glorify God? Here I am, Lord. I'm sick and I'm dying. Whether by life or death, I want to glorify Jesus Christ. Did you think that way? I want to bring glory to God. Paul had complete trust in the sovereignty of God. Paul understood God's sovereignty according to this verse. He might not be certain how he's going to be set free, but he knew that God would never allow him even to be put to shame as he was going to face trial, not dishonors, not disgraced. Paul says, whether by life or death, whatever I face, even if I've got to face Caesar in this trial, God will be glorified. He had such a confidence. Be exalted in my body. Verse 20, be exalted in my body. Be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Does that make sense? If you're going to kill me, Lord, exalt your name in my death. If it is the last thing that I say before I leave, Jesus Christ is Lord. And to the glory and praises of his name, glorify yourself. God, if they're going to chop my head off, glorify yourself. If they're going to hang me, glorify yourself. Well, it was more like the chopping back in them days, the days of Paul. Whether by life or death, I live for Christ. If I die, I'm going to die in Christ. Paul saw this circumstance in his life. It served a greater purpose. Jesus. Jesus and Jesus will be magnified. Doesn't make sense. Brethren, he says, my afflictions have worked out for the greater good. The gospel. My afflictions have worked out for the greater, greater good. That I will exalt Christ. My afflictions have all turned out that Jesus is exalted in my life, whether by life or death. My experiences have helped the brethren to move forward with the gospel. You might get the impression that Paul loves Jesus and the gospel, right? So here it is. The Apostle Paul is encouraging his believers to say, under this circumstance in my life is not what you think. It's not what you think. Just because it looks gloom and doom to you, I want to encourage you, brethren, that God is working out way greater things. Way greater things. I want to give you a bit of an application, but before I do that, let me just appeal to you, those of you, who are not born of God, those of you who pretend to be born of God, those of you who don't know if you're born of God, in other words, those of you who are not Christians, your circumstances in life are nothing in comparison to the hellfire that awaits you. In fact, no matter how hard your circumstance in this life may be, If you close your eyes now without Christ, you would wish that you were back here under heavy load of circumstances because right now you are experiencing God's mercy because he has not ended your life. 
God is sovereign in keeping you alive. As much as God is sovereign in working through the Apostle Paul and bringing about many sons to glory. God is holding you alive to this very day. But it will be a day of reckoning if you close your eyes without Him. That no matter how hard your circumstance in His life might have been, cancer, a loss of a child, it won't matter. If you reject the gospel truth and the mercy of Jesus Christ, God will pour out his wrath on you because you rejected it when he poured it out on his own son. I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to put your faith and trust in Jesus and stop being hypocrites and believe in Christ. There is a reason that Jesus came to save souls, to save sinners. This is why the Apostle Paul is rejoicing, right? Because the gospel is going everywhere and all the palace is being saved in hearing the gospel. He is rejoicing for the work of God in salvation. And I will rejoice if one of you repents and believes in the gospel. He is rejoicing because Christ is Lord and God and Savior and I want that for you. Oh, how I want that for you, that you wouldn't be coming in week in and week out and pretend that you're a Christian and think that you're a Christian and walk out and still be hard against Christ. Your circumstances are a holiday to you. They are a holiday and they are beautiful to you right now in comparison to God's wrath. Don't play the hypocrite. Don't tick the box and say, I am a Christian. Don't come here. I cannot save you. Where's cannot save you? But the gospel can. The apostle Paul is rejoicing in the gospel that Christ is working out mightily in the hearts of unbelievers and bringing people to, to Christ. I beg of you, turn to Christ and live. Or you will die in your sins and you will see Christ and his wrath. But I want to talk to you now, brothers and sisters, in light of what we study, to give you a little bit of an application. Are there chains in your own personal life who are robbing you of the joy of Christ? Do you have things in your own personal life and circumstances who are stopping you from glorifying Christ, from loving Christ and living for Christ? You fill in the blanks, whether it's your husband, your child, your school, your car, it doesn't matter. I'll leave that up to you. But don't lose opportunities. Don't let these things to restrict you from loving Christ, living Christ, and proclaiming the gospel in your life. How should we view afflictions in our life according to Paul? Christ is there, brethren. Christ is working something out. Amen. Jesus is working something out. How do we respond to that? Trust him. Trust the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Sometimes, as I said before, I'll come back to it. Sometimes we always think the afflictions are always about me. Have you noticed there are brethren in this church who are very sick, but they encourage me? Do you get that? And you always think that your affliction is about you. It may not be. Because Paul says not only God has used his affliction for the furtherance of the gospel, but in my chains, my brethren are falling in love with Christ more. Do you see that? Even in our own afflictions, we can be selfish. And God is at work through the brethren. If a brother has affliction in his church, are you encouraging him? Are you encouraging him or her? 
to say, listen, God says he's sovereign. God is working our greater plan, brother, sister. Be at peace. Be comforted. Lead them to the still waters. Lead them to drink from the well of life where they will be filled, where God will make them understand that this life is but for a minute. But then comes glory. If Christ, brothers and sisters, can use one person Paul, are you willing to be used for Paul, like Paul, for God? And if God can use one man to bring many sons to glory, what can God do through this little church if we are willing to live sacrificially under any circumstances for the gospel's sake? Do you make it your aim to preach the gospel in your life? Let me ask you also this. If there is someone in this congregation that you see that has zeal and fire for Jesus, do you want that fire or do you get offended by that fire? You ought to desire it. You ought to desire it. You ought to not be envious. You ought to desire it, just like these people did. And God brought about such an amazing awakening. Paul had such an impact whilst he's in prison. What impact do you have in the people of your church? You're free. None of us are in prison yet. What impact do you have in people's lives? For the gospel. I'm not talking hanging around and playing with your buddies. I am talking about having an influence and an impact for the gospel. You see why Paul says, I prayed this way for you, that you would live this way. Can you say, I want to magnify God, glorify God, whether by life or death? Amy Carmichael prayed to the Lord that God will use her in whatever, whatever way possible to bring glory to him. Do you know what God did after she prayed this prayer? She fell in a ditch. She broke her leg, fractured her ankle somehow, somewhat, and her spine became crooked. He was a, she was a woman who was so active in India, in the streets, in actual fact, in one of her books, she writes that being inside is like a curse. Guess what happened to her? She was bedridden. She couldn't move much. And God used her mightily. That She wrote some 13 books and seven of them was How to Glorify God in the Midst of Circumstances. I want to leave you with John MacArthur. A quote from John MacArthur. Paul's example of selfless humility shows that the worst circumstances are, the great joy can be. The greater your circumstance, the greater your joy can be. When a seemingly secure things in life begin to collapse, when suffering and sorrow increase, believers should be drawn into an ever deeper fellowship with the Lord. It is then that they will mostly fully experience the enduring joy the Apostle knew so well. This joy is far greater and more satisfying than any fleeting circumstantial happiness. And this unmixed joy comes not because of circumstance, but in spite of them and through them. I just pray the Lord has spoke to you to understand what Paul through the Spirit of God, has said to you. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you will use people mightily who are willing to come to Christ and to leave everything behind like the Apostle Paul. Learn to live with much and with nothing 
and in everything it says, whether by life or death, that you will be glorified in his body. Oh Lord, how I pray this for Saving Grace Bible Church. Every member of this church, that they may examine, we may examine. Lord, do we really believe that you are sovereign in our circumstance? And can we say we would rather live for Christ in our circumstances, whether by life or death? And for those, Father, who do not know you yet, we pray that through your sovereignty, Lord God, you will draw them to the cross of Jesus Christ, where they will see the great exchange, the righteous for the unrighteous. For you made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that we may become the righteousness of God. That is the great exchange. That is the imputation of God's holy righteousness because of Christ. So I pray, Father, that your word will not return to you void. Come back to you and reach its purpose according to your will. Amen.